0: Alright guys, it's good to have fellowship and uh, fun with one another, but let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats, and we're going to be studying the book of Acts today, chapter 18, verses 1 through 22, so if you're visiting with us, welcome, it's great to have you, Uh, if you are uh, from out of town, great to have you as well, I know we have some friends from Minneapolis here. So, welcome to you guys. We have a a friend from um, Milwaukee here, Tyler Sonnenberg, now is in Milwaukee, our church there, and uh, came back, I don't know, I think to hear the sermon, uh, maybe see Sadie, but I'm sure it was more just to come to church. Um, So, uh, anyways, but um, if you have traveled, uh, my old friend, old friend, uh, Paul Poulos, Came from, uh, came from Minneapolis. Paul, ha- Paul and Tammy are here. They happen to be the parents of Grayson Poulis, who leads our campus ministry. Uh, so if you have I- any uh, questions or issues with Grayson, take advantage of the opportunity today to talk to Paul and Tammy. Uh, they're the ones really responsible. Uh, so, uh, uh, but Paul said, to me, on the way up, he said, I drove a long way to hear your message. It better be good. <laughs> so I said, it will be as good as your heart is soft. <laughs> Boom. See, when you're old friends, you can speak that way to, to each other. Paul was the one I bow. I tell the story. You guys remember I tell the story of being really young and little, when I became a disciple. I was like 20-year-old in the campus ministry, and we played football. And Paul was the guy in the middle who I bounced off of. You guys remember that story? <laughs> um, so uh, still got some pains and aches from that. So we're going to be studying uh, in uh, Acts chapter 18 today. The title of our message is Ordinary to Emboldened Disciple-Making. Okay, so we're going through the book of Acts. And we are seeing the theme that when the Spirit comes on the church, that they go from ordinary humans, ordinary struggles, ordinary everyday life to emboldened, empowered. The Spirit enters them and fills them with strength and courage and power, and it flows through them and the world changes. So what we're going to see today is we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul and we're going to see insight into his internal struggles, into the, the t- timidity that he wrestled, but how Jesus in the Spirit encouraged him and emboldened him and for the reasons that he did that. But I want to look at Matthew 28 to remind us of the commission that Jesus gave. So if you could go ahead and show the map. Um, I'm sorry, Alan. Go ahead and show the map. So this is... In Acts chapter 18, we are starting to finish up Paul's second missionary journey. Okay, and so we're going to see, we're going to look all the way out in the little green part there, uh, the region of Achaia, and he's going to go to Corinth, and we're going to look at his time in Corinth. So he goes from comes from Athens, which Grayson preached on two weeks ago uh, about Paul in Athens, and he goes to Corinth. We're going to talk about today, and then he goes over to Ephesus. And just a few verses on Ephesus, because more we'll do that in the third missionary journey, and then to um, Jerusalem, and then back to Antioch, okay? Um, So next week, we'll finish up the second missionary journey. But I want us to refocus back to really the purpose of what is Paul doing? What is the Spirit doing? In Matthew 28, in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus does not want all people to become simply believers in himself. He says, go make disciples. Disciples is term that we think of as like super committed Christians today. That's not what Jesus thought of. Jesus thought a disciple is someone who's a Christian. They're the same thing in the New Testament. Go make followers of me. Like I've made you and called you to follow me. Now you guys go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, or in verily, verily. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises to be with them. That brings great encouragement and power. We're going to see this this, uh, promise again repeated to Paul in the book of Acts and how much encouragement it brings him to continue to go and make disciples. All right? So... Our main text is going to be Acts chapter 18. But I want, what's cool about this is we have Paul going to Corinth. What's neat about this is we have Paul sharing where his heart was at when he went to Corinth in the letter from uh, him to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. So I want to actually turn to 1 Corinthians 2 to gain insight into what was Paul feeling. So when you think about Going and sharing your faith. Going and make disciples. I have a question for you. Do any, are any of you like me where you can struggle with timidity? Can I get a witness? You think about, I want you to think about going into your workforce on Monday, workplace, and with the boldness saying, who wants to be a disciple? Come follow me as I follow Christ. Right, that may be a, a little weird, uh, but uh, uh, mostly we feel some intimidation. All right, listen, you're not alone. You know, students, you're going back to school this fall. I want you to think about going back and going into that school and making disciples. Some of you may be going to college. Some of you may be going away to college, and you feel some timidity um, or whatnot. This is super uh, common, and the encouraging thing is, is our most heroic And bold and strong leaders in the scriptures felt the same thing. Isn't that cool? Let's read this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. It says, and when I came to you, brethren. So Paul's referring to when he went to Corinth. I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Now, he could have said that because... If you remember, in Athens, uh, uh, Paul just threw down against all the greatest philosophers and intellects of the world. Paul just dropped the mic on those guys, right? Does that make sense? So he could have said, man, I come with superior wisdom and eloquence, and I know how to break down the arguments of anyone. But he didn't say that, did he? He said... I did not come that way, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ in Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power." There's the theme of the book of Acts, isn't it? Demonstration of the power of the Spirit, emboldened not from your own courage, but from the courage of God, and the power of God. So that, and the reason for that is that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. It's very easy for our faith to start to rest in one another. And Paul's like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want you to believe because I believe. I want you to go to learn to rely on God and His power. But he says, "Man, I come in fear and in trembling and in weakness." So let's go now to first to uh, um, Acts chapter 18, and we're going to we're going to look at what 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 does the Spirit do, knowing that this is where Paul. Is entering into. What does the Spirit do? How does the Spirit encourage him? How does Jesus encourage him? What happens? What does Paul do? Is he controlled by that fear or is he let the Spirit take over? Let's look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila. What is the first thing God gives us when we're struggling with timidity? What's one of the first things he gives them right here? He gives them a partner, right? He gives them a friend. He gives, you know, in the Bible, uh, in the book of Revelation, they have a whole numbering system. And the number two, for those of you who know Revelation or maybe have been through our Revelation class, what does the number two mean and symbolize in the book of Revelation? What's two mean? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Bueller, I'm sorry, dating my kids are like, what? Who's Bueller, okay? Two means strength. Two means strength. So Paul's struggling, okay? And he sends him Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla are already disciples, and they got kicked out of Rome for being disciples, and they come to Corinth. At the exact same time that Paul comes to Corinth, do you think someone's working there to form a team of strength so the gospel can advance. Absolutely. A Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade. Jews, and Greeks. Special note, when Paul, Paul sometimes is supported by the churches to devote himself exclusively to the preaching and the ministry of the Word of God, right? Sometimes, though, he's not supported. Did that change Paul's spirit toward the mission? Did It's like, well, I'm not support. I'm not the full-time paid minister now, and so, therefore, I think I'm just going to sit back, and let someone else do it. Is that what he did? Right there on Sunday. It's the same heart. It's the same attitude. It's the same spirit. Now he's just got to take a little extra time. Make some tents so he can get some food to eat. Right? And that's what I love about uh, our family. Effect. There's a ton of ministry that goes on in this congregation. There's one another, relationships. There's purity groups. There's teen, there's team. Uh, and all of us are ministers of the gospel. And we're all in the full-time ministry. Are you with me there? Only a few of us are supported by the church, but we're all in the ministry. And I, I remember uh, when uh, um, some friends of mine came off staff and they came to uh, Eau Claire. And they weren't paid anymore by the church, but that didn't change their spirit. They were just like, hey, how can we serve? What can we do? Amen? That's awesome. Okay. Same way with Paul. All right. So let's go back to um, verse 5. So he's, he's reasoning every synagogue, in the synagogue every Sabbath in trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing in being Baptized. You know, Mark 16, verse 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. The Bible does not say, believe and you're saved. It says, believe and be baptized. Mark 16, verse 16. Acts 2 says, Repent and be baptized. Now, all this comes from faith and the grace of God through the conduit of responding in faith. Amen? But. Over 2,000 years, we, have, we like the idea of believe because that's a lot easier than repenting. How about you? Repenting, that's kinda, that takes like some sacrifice. That takes like some deliberate turning away from something we probably enjoy, right? So how about instead of believe and repent, how about we just believe? Ah, oh, let's repent Sounds good to me. Woohoo! Right? How about, uh, no, that's not the way it works, though. Believe, make Jesus Lord, repent, and be baptized. It's all through the scripture. It's clear as a bell. And if you're trying to get around it, you got issues. Okay? I, amen? Okay. So they were believing and being baptized. It says, uh, where, did I, where are we? Verse, eight, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But while Gallio was proconsul of the, Achaia, the of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of right, or excuse me, of wrong or of vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. Don't you love it? But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, Look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. See, it sounds like a real rational mind here going on, doesn't it? No, they've lost their mind. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. We're just going ahead and stop right there. Okay. Paul says, man, I feel timid. I feel weak. I feel like I'm struggling in my faith. And why? What What was going on? Remember, Paul was being constantly opposed by the Jews. How do you deal with constant opposition? After a while, it starts to wear you down. Are you with me there? So you know, the world. We can, we as a disciple, we are constantly being opposed by the forces of evil. Constant. Oh, you Bible bangers, relax. It's no big deal. Oh, you are just. A, You know, uh, you're so committed. Why don't you chill out? Oh, my goodness. You don't have to be that committed to go to heaven. I mean, it's just constant. Oh, just a little lust is okay. Just a little impurity, immorality. Everyone does it. Oh, your marriage is getting hard. Oh, you know what? Marriage, you know what? Just move on. Move on. Maybe you're not meant to be. Maybe it's not your soulmate. Cause you deserve to be happy, just move, commitment, commitment, shapupo, whatever, <laughs> right? Oh, you made a covenant vow before God. <sighs> ah, but you deserve to be happy. Are, are you with me there? Now, those of us who've been through divorce. Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to make a lot. It is so hard, and it's it's super deep. But we do need, and I'm not making a, a statement on. But we do need to see patterns of the world, right? That commitment and wholeheartedness and for better and worse till death do us part. It's no question how the character of our society is continuing to erode because once things get hard, then we just take off, right? It's a constant beating down. The world is constantly trying to get you to be weary and to lose heart and here Paul if Satan can get Paul to be silent to stop believing to stop giving his heart to the mission of God then Satan has won twofold because not only is the world lost the hope for the world is also discouraged. And we got to we got to be we got to go deep at this point and say where did Paul find the encouragement from the spirit and how did that happen? And so there's two things. Because he says in 2 Timothy 1, as he writes to Timothy, who also struggles with this. He says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and discipline. In Acts chapter 18, uh, uh, or we see here two things. We see a pattern of disciple making and we see the power of disciple making. We see a pattern and we see a power what was Paul's pattern first he went in he goes into the synagogue right the synagogue he first wants to go to the Jews he got that from Jesus himself i must first go to the Jews so he go every place he goes where does he go he goes into the synagogue he follows a pattern the synagogue would be kind of like your fishing hole Okay, It was Paul's fishing hole. We're fishers of men, right? And so we like to go fishing. We went fishing the other night. And uh, um, we like to, there's spots where we know there's usually fish. And so we drive the boat to that spot, and we fish. And Jackson catches fish, and Carter catches fish, and I, you know, watch. <laughs> and I fish. <laughs> no, I caught a few too, um, but uh, um, fishing hole. How about you? What about your fishing hole? Right, your workplace, your neighborhood, your friends. You've got a fishing hole. Questions? You've been fishing. What's what's we got? We got even a professional fisherman here, or ex-professional fisherman, right? So I'm going to put him on the spot, Tim Bernicke. Okay, Tim, what's the key to catching fish? You gotta keep your lure in the water, right? You gotta keep the line wet. And for a while, some of us in the boat, the fishing pole's sitting there, and we're like watching the view. They're like, dude, I'm not an expert fisherman, but I know something. I know when that line isn't wet, you're not gonna catch fish. And some of us, we're called to be fishers of men, but we're just sitting watching the view, right? You're a fisherman that don't fish. That's crazy talk. Okay? Fishing hole. Fishers of men that don't fish. Keeping that line wet. Okay, so he went into the synagogue, and what did he do? Did he just, you know what, I'm just going to go to the synagogue, and I'm just going to sit quietly and be a good example. And if anyone wants to come and ask me about my amazing walk with God, they'll come. But I'm just going to be an example. Let's look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't quite see that in Paul, do you? Now, we're all for being a good example. But he said, I try to persuade people. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we uh, smooth talk men and women. We just example it on out. No, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Like, listen, I know what it's to fear God. Therefore, I'm going to be persuasive. Listen, every single human. Say, like, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can be persuasive. You're, are you kidding me? Every single human knows how to be extremely persuasive to get what they want. Have you met a baby when they get hungry? <laughs> Awfully persuasive right? Have you met, uh, I I know before I was a disciple, man, I was persuasive to get others to get drunk with me, to have sex with me, to lie and cheat and steal and on and on. I was persuasive. And so then I became a disciple. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm awfully timid. I don't know if I can be very persuasive. What are you talking about? You exactly know how to be persuasive. You just don't know what it is to fear the Lord, and that's why you're not trying to persuade men. How about you? Have you been persuasive? Have you been vocal? Have you been verbal? Or have you been intimidated? See, Paul had a reason to be intimidated by going into Corinth. I wanted to go back to the text a little bit. Why? What was Corinth? So we had his past discouragements and opposition. Um, but we also have the city of Corinth that's rather intimidating in two areas. Incredible amount of pride in Corinth, and an incredible amount of immorality. In Corinth, okay, this was uh, uh, like Athens. This was full of uh, uh, intellectual arrogance, and one of the reasons we know that is because we know the history of the city. But we also know the the, the thrust of First and Second Corinthians. Paul is battling against these people who think they know everything. Have you ever run into someone like that? Right, can be intimidated, right? Intimidating, um, and uh, much wealth. This was an economic center uh, of trade. Could you throw Could you throw the map back up there, Ellen? We have uh, um, we have uh, So here's here's Corinth. We have uh, uh, in between those two seas. Okay, if you look at it on a bigger map, there's there's uh, uh, it's a uh, the the roads east to west and the seas north to south. So it was a huge uh, economical uh, a city. So a lot of wealth, okay, going on in Corinth. But also, uh, Corinth was where the uh, temple of Aphrodite is, okay, who is known as the goddess of love. Interesting what they called love. Thousands of prostitutes who worked for the temple going out and seeking to sell themselves for sex. That's the city of Corinth. So, like uh, the city of Eau Claire. Okay, where there's some false temple of sex, basically, and you go around and it's just seeking, seeking to have sex. That's and that's their religion. Okay, now I wonder why that appeals. Wonder how the evangelism was going. Okay, and so this was a in Corinth was so immoral. There's two words that became uh, based on the word Corinth that came. Uh, uh, by words for sexual immorality. Corinthazamai meant sexual immorza- immorality. In Corinth, I-, I can't read my own writing. Another Corinth, blah, 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 came uh, uh, the word for harlot. Okay? If you want all that fancy stuff, w- listen to Grayson when he preaches, okay? okay? Um, but th- it was so common. It was so widespread. So here Paul, think about this. Paul is going to come into Corinth, and what is he going to preach about sexual immorality? He's going to preach repent be absolutely pure not a hint of impurity not a hint it shouldn't even be named amongst the godly Now how do you think that's going to go over Right so do you think there's reason to be intimidated and full of trembling and yet Paul did not let himself be controlled he went in to the synagogue he was persuasive and there is open people there. Um, Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue, got kicked out of the synagogue. So much opposition, but there's a few open people. And that's what we got to get comfortable with. There's going to be lots of opposition. And if we can't handle opposition, you can't handle being a disciple of Jesus. You got to learn how to, what I call uh, T. Swift opposition. Okay? So here we go. Any, anyone heard of Taylor Swift? Okay, so, so what did Jesus say to do when they opposed you? Shake the dust from your feet, right? So you got to shake it off. Shake, shake, shake it off. Have I given you something to remember? Now, if I do the dance... There's, there's boundary lines we have. Okay? It's just getting exciting. Okay. But uh, um, so they opposed him. And listen to Paul. See, see I don't know about you, but for me, I, I don't do this very well. I internalize things, and it's super hard. Someone I love, someone I've poured my heart into... And they say, I don't want to follow God anymore. It's so hard. I weep, I cry, I get discouraged. It takes me way too long to rebound from that. Are you with me there? Listen to Paul. He's just like, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. What, what is that about? Read Ezekiel 33. So here's, here's the principle Paul's working off there. Okay? So if Eli is living in sin, okay? and I know it, then what needs to happen? If I care about the honor of God, what do I do? I go to Eli, and I say, repent, my brother, and I will help you. And if Eli says, I don't want to repent, then what just happened? Then I say, Ezekiel says, if you've sounded the trumpet, if you've sounded the warning, then... You're innocent in the sight of God. But if you fail to sound the warning, you are a partner in the guilt. Right? This is why we need one another. That's why this community must be filled with one another relationships. And once we start to isolate from that kind of accountability, the reason is because we simply want to keep sinning. And don't fool yourself. That is the reason, okay? And Paul says, listen, I've warned you, Jews. I've called you to Jesus. I've called you to repent. And at this point, your blood is on your own hands, okay? I'm innocent of that. And from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to look for some open Gentiles uh, because you guys have rejected Jesus. How about, can you do that? Can we do that? All right, we must T Swift it. The opposition. Shake it off. Okay, now let's get into the power and then we'll be done. Okay, so Jesus, remember Matthew 28? I'll be with you always to the end of the age. You know what? We don't, it's just kind of like, well, you should have, Paul, you should have known that. Jesus said it once. So, no, Jesus, God is in that way. When, when we're down and discouraged, He knows what we need and He comes and He meets us. He gives Paul a partner. Some of the greatest partners of Paul's ministry, Priscilla and Aquila, they went with him to Ephesus, and at one point in Romans, Paul says, they uh, risked their lives for me. That kind of partnership is super encouraging, but human partnership can only do so much. Deep, deep down, we've got to be able to connect with Jesus. Either this is from Jesus, or it's not from Jesus. Jesus. That's what uh, Acts 5, this is from God, you're not going to be able to stop these men. But if it's from men, it's of a human origin, they will fail, it's only a matter of time. So Paul, in in in, in your desert times, what do you question? Is God with me? Does God exist? Is this of God or is this just a human idea? We've got to answer those questions and Paul was struggling with that and so Jesus came along and said, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. I'm with you. Oh, by the way, do not be afraid any longer. You know, struggling with fear, I I believe, is acceptable to God. God is okay with the weakness of our flesh. But to be controlled by fear is disobedience to God. Because the most oft-repeated command in Scripture is do not be afraid. Okay, so when we're controlled by our fear, Jesus at some point is going to say, stop, stop, stop being afraid. Do not be afraid any longer. Go on speaking, not be silent, for I am with you. And he said, no man will attack you nor harm you if I have many people in this city. What's some of the the thrust of this uh, few words from Jesus? Don't be afraid because fear leads you to shut in your mouth. Don't be silent. Open your mouth. When you open your mouth, the spirit will work and I'll communicate my message. But when you keep your mouth shut and you're not honest with what you really feel, then I can't work. Do not be, do not be afraid. Do not be silent because, and there's, here, here's the power underneath this, I am with you, the great I am. Moses going into Exodus, a little intimidated? Absolutely. A little afraid? Absolutely. Finally, he's like, let's just send someone else. I can't handle this. I'm not there. I don't have the courage. I don't have the faith. Send someone else. And what did God say? Hmm, good point. Uh, No, he said, Moses, I am sending you, stop your whining, go find Aaron, and get moving. And then Moses said, yes, sir. (laughs) Because the great I am is sending you. Jesus, says, I am with you. That's not just a play of words. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you and I am with you. Okay, there's four points to your sermon, your Bible talk, right there. Okay? <laughs> Bible talk, um, power, I am with you. You will not be harmed. There will be, I will protect you. Now wait a second. Did Jesus lie? Because we see Paul being harmed. I don't think. Jesus lied. There's trials, there's tribulations, there's hardship, but he will never give us more than we can bear. Amen? Amen? And so he won't be hard. There's light and momentary troubles, but that won't overcome you. I'll give you the strength to bear up under them. And then he says something super encouraging, and we'll end with this, or we'll lead into communion with this. He says, I have many people in this city. God does not call us to courage for our own sake, but for the people that are lost and outside of the grace of God that Jesus died for. He says, I have many people in this city. What difference would it make if you went into your workplace and you heard from Jesus? Don't be afraid. Don't be silent, because I have many people who are going to become disciples from this workplace what would be different about you I think there'd be different what about your school classes coming up and at UW Eau Claire or CVTC or or Cassidy going to Duluth you know that's intimidating that's tough but if Jesus were to say you go to Duluth and you proclaim the gospel because I've got many people Cassidy and I've chosen you Cassidy's like oh my goodness stop okay But it's true, you know. Uh, um, The city of Eau Claire, do we believe or not believe that the harvest is plentiful? That the fields are, what do we believe? What we believe will be seen by how we act. But I believe that God has many people in this city. Are you with me? I don't know. Let's try it again. Are you with me? Many people, many people. Uh, um, and uh, uh, how about in Duluth? Many people, you know, I'm fired up because in Sioux Falls, a church is starting, right? Our church is starting there, and guess what? There's three people from our congregation who are in the final stages of deciding to go to Sioux Falls, and why is that? Because they believe that by many or by few, nothing can inter- hinder the Lord from saving. Amen and amen? Uh, uh, how about La Crosse? How about Wassa? Are we just going to sit around and enjoy the view? Or are we going to actually be fishermen and get our lines wet as individuals and as a congregation? i got young, young men training in the ministry who have dreams to plant churches all over, all over the uh, upper Midwest. Amen and amen. Let's do this because God has many people in these places. God is able to use you, even you, struggler, timid, In weakness and fear, you and I, through the power, not of ourselves, but through the power of the gospel and of the Spirit, to make many disciples. And then whom is glorified? God is glorified. Amen? Go make disciples. Go from ordinary to emboldened by the power of the Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray.